So we've done our introduction and we've had a look at the chorus. Let's have a look at some of the characters of the Sabathian now. Um, you know that uh, the evangelist, you have the evangelist, the chronista, as we would have said, uh, and you've heard about Christus, and we're going to think a bit more about Christus now. Um, Matthew, as I think I mentioned in the last session, is keen to present Jesus as the fulfilment of the Jewish prophecies. He spends a lot of time quoting from the book of Psalms, and Bach is very, very interested in Psalms. You're going to find out just how interested he was um, in the next session. I'm very excited about the next session because I'm doing. I'm not telling. I can't tell you what I'm doing. So I'm too excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're surprised, but, um, um, you, and you already heard that uh, the evangelist is set using secco restitive, dry restitive, very little accompaniment, and Jesus is accompanied by this halo of sound. Now it's very easy to make the artistic equivalent here that it's a nimbus, it's a halo. It makes him holy. It's a little aura which hangs around his character. But I think there is um, another reason for that. I think that's, that he's got this string accompaniment because it makes him even more accessible. Um, there's something slightly curious, isn't there, about restative, having someone standing there doing a lot of fast notes. Um, whereas Jesus actually sings. He sings. Even, even his restatives are quite measured. The accompanied restatives tend to be in a much more measured time than secco restitives, where the singer can be a little bit freer. So I think there is um, there's, a, there's, there's a sense in which he becomes more human through having these string sounds associated with him than if he was simply doing secco restitives, as he is in the St. John Passion. And it's interesting, musicians tend to be so in love with the way that Matthew does it, that when we do the St. John Passion, and I, I do this as well, when we um, accompany the evangelist, we tend to play just short notes in the accompaniment. And when we accompany Jesus, we play long notes. So that he still gets his little bit of halo, um, his little bit of extra support. Um, and it also, of course, allows him to express emotions which are human. The evangelist does express emotions when he talks about the graves opening up. There's great power. He seems very high in his voice. Uh, and when he describes Peter's weeping, which you'll we'll hear in a minute, um, he does do a little bit of weeping himself. But Jesus, and I've mentioned the two moments already, um, at the, um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he asks for the cup to be taken away, and on the cross, when he says, my God, why have you forsaken me, is portraying intensely human emotions. And I think this is something which goes to the heart of St. Matthew's Gospel. Uh, so I'm going to play you straight away um, this scene from the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthias Gorner singing for Harlenkor. So it's excerpt five on your sheet. Excerpt five, just a little, a little one here. Um, this is him. This is Jesus with his halo. Okay, so you'll hear the strings going on. Um, you want to notice, especially in the last statement of Jesus, my zeal is to be trubt, bis an den Tod. My soul is troubled even unto death. There's a throbbing bass line, which goes war, 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 which is the heartbeat, I think. Um, that's what doing. And when he goes to the word tort, to death, um, it's the low note. He sings low in his voice because you go down into the grave for death. So it's a very human response uh, from the Son of God to the situation in which he finds himself. So there's Jesus troubled, 
Uh, but at the same time, really quite comfortingly strong. This is, I mean, people tend to pick a very warm bass for us to play, to play um, Jesus. And he's got a lovely cavernous. Um, um, so it makes you feel comfortable. But in the music, there's this, this little throbbing this the thing that we had in the first movement that we know that something's wrong something very wrong is about to happen uh, now something happens to Jesus as he goes through this Matthew passion which is that he loses his halo so he's um, he's got it there pretty much all the way through until he ends up on the cross so we're actually going to jump forward now to your next excerpt which I call Jesus Forsaken uh, excerpt 6 um and it's quite shocking to us when it comes, because having got used to Jesus' sound world, which is the supernatural, this the, the super musical sound world of the strings supporting it, it, all the strings disappear, and he's left in the same state as the evangelist, with no support, no halo. So he's completely on his own. He has been forsaken by God. And it, it's quite a powerful moment. Um, but I think, the, uh, again, the thing that goes through my mind here um, is that Jesus is willing to sacrifice himself for humanity, despite his anxieties. I mean, th- this, is, this is not fulfilment, uh, like the end of the crucifixion scene in St. John. This is pain, and he doesn't want it. Why would he ask, why would he ask God for the cup to be taken away from him? Why is he shouting, my God, why have you forsaken me? To be forsaken by God, are we ever forsaken by God? Do the scriptures not tell us that we're never forsaken by God? I mean, that's the form of hell on earth, which is terrible. There is, there is the Son of God, the Son of Man, on the cross, saying, why are you forsaken? He feels forsaken and left alone. And Bach does that absolutely out to him. I mean, he, sorry. Bach absolutely does that to him. He leaves him out on his own. Um, it's tragedy, isn't it? It's absolute tragedy. Maybe this is why... Mark produces such a powerful work. Obviously it's longer because Matthew is the longest gospel, but maybe that's why it's got this extra sense of tragedy about it. So uh, here is um, Peter Coy singing for Ton Cookman. So lots of things you should recognise here. Jesus dies and the first thing that happens is that you sing a chorale. I'm using you advising that. And your chorale is not how awful Jesus has just died. Your chorale is, when I die, don't leave me like this. <laughs> because, well, it's, well, yes, selfish, but also, I, mean, I think, entirely human. It's, yes. a, it's a fear. The fear of our own death overtakes what they're seeing. Because the one person you don't expect to be saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And if he's saying it, what happens when I go? Is that how I'm going to feel? And that's what, that's what they, um, they say. When I must depart one day, do not part from me then. Um, when I must suffer death, come to me. They, this, the, the writer of this text wants God to come to us, not to be left alone. Um, again, you're doing your schizoid thing, so you're being the crowd. You know, let's see if Elias comes to help him. It's a great, it's a great bit of drama here. Um, it's real EastEnders stuff. You know, there's Jesus on the cross, the cross calling out for Elias. And people go, oh look, he's calling out for the prophet Elijah. Let's, should we wait? Let's wait and see if he comes. You know, it's it's very gossipy. It's very sort of real, um, real drama. And do you see that Jesus has lost his strings? Again, they play the organ notes long, which is what we do in the St John Passion. So he has some he has some support. He's not as short as the angels. 
Um, yeah, interesting. A very human Jesus, I'd suggest. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, this guy who wrote these texts, who has the nickname Hikanda. That's how he wrote his um, That's how he wrote his name. Uh, Christian Friedrich Henrici, Henrici uh, is his real name, his pen name is Picander. He's a German poet and librettist, and he does a lot of work with Bach. Uh, he's born in a town called Stolpen, and he studies law, and he's a civil servant, really. He does some tutoring, and he's a civil servant. And he writes because he can, uh, and to supplement his income a little bit. Um, certainly he's working with Bach by 1725. Uh, it's not clear... When Bach comes to Leipzig, it's not clear who he's working with. The, the, rest is, the uh, libretti are anonymous. But by 1725, uh, they're working together on the Shepherd's Cantata and the later the Coffee Cantata and the, uh, the Peasant Cantata. Um, what Picander does is he's writing these arias which comment on the actions that have just happened. Um, they're highly personalised, I'd suggest, and very colourful. The imagery is very colourful. Um, and it contrasts really with this rather factual nature of St. Matthew's Gospel set to secco resti secco is dry and <coughs> Picander's arias uh, get music from Bach which is much more expressive uh, and uh, more interesting and uses a whole variety of techniques most of the arias that he writes are in the first person singular I feel this. Give me, my lord, that. Um, forgive me. It's it's all it's all done in first person singular. Um, and they have an intensity which is of the here and now. So very operatic. This has just happened. I mean, this person has just been awful to me, and I'm going to sing you an aria to tell you how desperately sad I feel about it. It's immediate reaction. It's the one we're going to experience in a minute. Peter realizes I've just denied this man three times. That's exactly what he told me. I was going to do, and now I feel dreadful, and I'm going to sing to you about it. So it has a certain amount of, of the, um, the operatic about it. Um, but it also, because I think of the chorus presence, because of your presence, contains an element of hindsight, of looking back onto this, and um, reflecting on the unfolding tragedy, and, and also what's going to come later. I'm just trying to decide whether I think I am going to play you two recordings of Erbarmadich. Um, I won't play you the whole scene. I'll, I'll give you the scene from one recording, but I'll give you Erbarmadich with um, um, a man and then a woman, um, so we can um, think about that. But uh, before we get there, uh, as I mentioned before, a lot of these arias, uh, and I think this one, Erbarmadich, we're coming on to, is coloured by. Bach's own knowledge of Luther's sermons. So he's got these sermons, some of them are annotated. It is thought that Picander drew on uh, his texts on the sermons of Luther. So it's quite possible Bach has quite a hand, either uh, absolutely, definitely, in saying, you should look at this, or this is my favourite bit, or Picander's just being sensitive to Bach's life. But Bach has a hand in the creation of this libretto, uh, which makes it even more personal for him. And that's exactly what we see in Erbarmadik, which is what we're going to look at in our next excerpt, uh, which is number seven, I think it is. Um, so I said we're going to deal with two betrayals, and it's two theologies that we need to, to look at. Them. The first one is Peter. Um, I'm sure you all know the story. Uh, Jesus predicts that Peter will betray him, 
before the cock crows. And uh, Peter ends up in the Praetorian Palace, and three people come up to him. Interestingly, two solo voices, uh, an Anchilla one, a maid, first maid, an Anchilla two, a second maid, and then chorus, several people come up saying, aren't you sure you're one of these, uh, you're this guy? And he's, he gets quite cross. Um, in the um, uh, in Matthew's version, ich weiß nicht, was du sagst, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but by the last one, uh, he's saying, yeah, well, he says, ich kenne des Menschen nicht, I don't know the man at all. Nicht at the end of a sentence in German is real. It's not just ich kenne des Menschen. Uh, well, nicht, they have to put nicht at the end of the word order. But it makes it very definite. Not at all that I know this person. And we then go into this uh, moment when the evangelist describes Peter's reaction. The cock crows, Peter reacts. And then we have Erbarmadich. Now, I've already mentioned that Peter is a baritone, talking about a baritone part, but Erbarmadich is written for an alto. You would expect it to be written for a baritone. It draws the comparison even more. This is an aria which reflects on what's happened. It's sung by the same voice as... Um, the same voice as Peter himself. But it's possible that what uh, Bach is doing here by giving it to an alto is saying this is for humanity. This lament is for the whole of humanity, not just for Peter. We're all, it's us again, we've got it wrong. And Peter is a great role model for us because he's like a puppy dog. He gets everything wrong. He says the wrong thing. He constantly gets hold of the wrong end of the stick. He's constantly been told, look, no, 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 it's not It's like this. And he is, but he's also full of enthusiasm. He's the one who turns around and says, even if everyone else runs away from you, I'm never going to run away from you. Which is brilliant. You know, that's the sort of love that you want. It's the sort of thing you would get if a puppy could talk, you might imagine. I'm never ever going to leave you. I love you so much. (laughs) Um, But here he is, uh, almost at the first hurdle. Now this piece begins with a violin solo. Again, the pulsating strings thing you're going to hear underneath it. Uh, It conjures up the image of a weeping Peter. Um, but I think it was first John Butts, a great Bach scholar who lives up in Scotland now, um, who noticed that the melody is only ever played in full by the violin. Peter never sings it in the full, because he can't, because he's human. The violin is divine. The violin is perfection. That is the lament. And the, the, the vocalist starts to sing, and he sings some of it, but he always, or she, always veers off into another direction, because he's human, because we get it wrong. And we can't, we attain, we try to attain perfection, but we can't get there. It's the nature of the human condition. It's what makes us so brilliant and so frustrating. Um, so I'm going to play this um, recording now. I'll do, uh, I'll do Kulfman, first of all, which is uh, with an alto counter called Kai Vessel. It's a man. It's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah. That's for us, that aria. That's for us, I think. That's, that's, that's why an alto singing. It's very long. So that is 30 seconds shorter than Harnenkor's first movement and 30 seconds... No, sorry, 30 seconds longer than Harnenkor's first movement and 30 seconds shorter than Copeland's first movement. So it's almost as long as the first movement, which we know is one of the longest things that Bach's ever written. Um, it's extremely generous. Writing, it's you know, it's very, very beautiful. It's, um, it's powerful. He sings it extremely well. He's got the that's a guy called Kai Vessel, K-I-K-I-K-A-I-V-E-S-S-E-L, for Tom Cookman, and uh, he's uh, he's got that very um, 
uh, the very brilliant ability to take his vibrato off completely, but to crescendo. So you get that sort of intensity of sound, um, which sort of uh, which goes through it. And it's beautiful, instrumental playing as well. But do you, see, do you see what I mean about the violin? In a sense, it's a dance between humanity and the divine. But the, the, the humanity can't quite keep up with it. It can't sing the same notes as the divine. Did anybody <coughs> see the Jonathan Miller production, if I could say, of the same Magic Passion, and he has the two of them sort of dancing yeah, dance around each other, arcading around each other, because yeah. that's what the music is doing. It is, absolutely. Yeah. And therefore it is also a love song, as well as being a little yeah. There's a lot of love. <coughs> so I, will, I won't play the whole of the, that scene, but I will give you in... Um, this is uh, Bernarda Fink um, for Harnencore. So here's a female voice. Um, so, uh, different. Uh, different, I would suggest, first of all, I'm going to talk about the voice in a second. It's different in terms of tempo. So, if I think for Harlem Paul, Peter's in a state of some distress. I mean, he's uh, panicked. It's a much more panicky performance. It's all, you know, I've got this awful thing. It's, he's, he's like that, and being probably true to his character. Whereas uh, for Tom Bookman, he's just totally exhausted. I mean, the Peter is, is spent. He's just, his life has come to an end. It's so slow, it's virtually stopped. His heartbeat is. It's barely going. Preferences? Um, but I agree with you that I think there is a, there is a much more human quality. Yeah. It feels like a real human being. Because it's not quite so perfect. He is pretty perfect. You must always remember that in the, in the recording world, that could have been edited to within an inch of its life. But it sounds pretty perfect to us. The tuning is very good. It's very pure. It's almost otherworldly in the, the lack of vibrato. This is a, the, the woman's performance is more human. I, I, I agree with you. It's more panicky. It's less perfect, actually. Yeah. It's tuning yeah. is less physical. perfect. So, but for me, I have to have both of those things because I love the otherworldliness. I love the pain of the otherworldliness. It's seriously painful when you get to a note and does that. You're really thinking, God, can I can I bear for this note just to go on any longer because it's actually like a sword through the heart. Whereas when when you hear Leonardo sing it, it's focus. It's much more real, it's more visceral somehow. So I want I need both of those things in my life actually. So that's the great this is the great joy about music, of course. There's no right way. There's just music. Okay, there's Peter. Um, he gets a lovely aria. He he does it wrong and he's I'd be glib if I said that we use embrace and pat on the head, but he's consoled. He's consoled and we see him weeping and we feel for him because he's got it wrong and that's us. Judas is a fascinating character. I'm sure you know that in some traditions, Judas is regarded as a saint. Because were it not for Judas, Jesus would not be crucified and there would be no redemption. Um, How can that be a saint? Well, because, because he is the instrument through which... That's um, it's a bit like for, It's a bit like for... Um, uh, what's he called? Uh, Milton in Paradise Lost. Um, the snake is perfect in Paradise Lost. He's beautiful. His colours are more beautiful than anything else. He's the most attractive thing in the Garden of Eden. Then it goes wrong when Satan enters him, when he enters his mind, puts it in his mind, to go to Eve and say, do you fancy that apple up there? It's Satan who does that to him. So Judas, in a similar sort of way, for some traditions, Judas is the conduit through which we get salvation. He doesn't betray Jesus. We all have to go home early because Jesus escapes and marches in on Jerusalem and everything changes. So that's why. It's a, it's a, it's a one-man tradition. 
And I'm very interested in what happens in Matthew's Gospel because I think um, Matthew portrays Judas in an extraordinary light. So we know he betrays Jesus, he goes to the authorities, and he says, what will you give me if I betray this man to you? Give me 30 pieces of silver. He does the deed, and he realises that he's got it wrong. Yeah. Now, what do you do in the church if you get something wrong? You've done something wrong, you go to the church, you go and talk to a priest, or you know, a person who you respect, who might have some spiritual authority in your own eyes, if not actually in the church. That's what he does. He goes back to the priests and he says, look, I've done something terribly wrong. He just, he gets it. He understands. And they turn around and say, well, it's got nothing to do with us. You just, you go off, go and sort it out yourself. It's nothing to do with us. This is these priests saying this to him. Nothing to do with us. Uh, and so he takes the money and he throws it down in the temple, casts at them, goes out and he hangs himself. He takes his own life. And then Bark, of course, being Bark, can't just leave it there. He gives us an aria. But my gosh, what an aria he gives us. And before we talk about it a bit more, we'll listen to it in a second. Um, this is uh, excerpt eight. Okay. Um, here's the, you see, got the evangelist doing his thing. You notice Judas, he can't be evil He gets a nice, nasty chord on evil because it's the word evil. Uh, the choir comes in there, the priests, that's you. Turn around and says, nothing to do with us. Off you go, do your own thing. Um, and then you get these two very pompous horn priests uh, just before the aria, say that, well, we can't keep this money, let's go and buy a field that we can bury foreigners in. It's blood money, so let's use it for something unpleasant, like buying a field for foreigners to be dead in, because otherwise they'll be piled up in the streets. It's not nice at all. And then you have this aria, Git me of mine in Jesu vida, give me my Jesus back, he says. See the money, the murderous feed, tossed at your feet by the lost son. What I pick up on this is the phrase, the lost son. He's a son. He's not a villain. He's not a betrayer. He's not a traitor. We get that a lot. And don't forget, Jesus has already said, better this man if he's never been born. So even Jesus has been quite hard on him earlier on. But here, he's a son. He's a lost son. It's a sheep who's gone astray. And, you know, we get a lot of parables in the Bible which tell us that sheep have gone astray and need to be brought back. Here is this scene. This is Judas going to the um, high priests. This is Hanenkor. So it's a, a guy called Oliver Wittmer. And here he comes. What emotion do you get from that? Happy up, sad? Very upbeat. Mm. Mm. Quite righteous. As he's going up, it's in G major, that's all, so it's not in E minor, not in the minor key at all, in G major, which is the brighter key. I think, um, if you watch a fiddle player playing this, they look absolutely amazing. There's a, a wonderful guy, I think, I'm not sure if he's still playing, I think he does a bit, Walter Reiter, um, who used to, he used to look as if his head was on a, I, I can't describe it, he just sort of moved around with it. it's the most, the most elegant thing I've ever seen in my life. It was wonderful. Uh, and it's all beautifully under the fingers of the violin. And it's, it's a very positive aria. It's a very positive aria. John Elliot Gardner, in his book um, about Bach, his second book about Bach, um, says that it's, it, this is some Judas casting his money in the temple. But da, 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 he's throwing his money away. In dis- I, don't, I don't buy that for a minute. Nobody talks about this aria in terms of theology. Nobody mentions it. None of the books write about it. They all have to get over it. They all say it's an Italian concerto style which it is, because there's violinists, soloists, 
doing his thing, and there's the strings accompanying, typical Italian concerto style. Uh, it's in G major, it's unremittingly positive, and a man has just hung himself. Yeah. That's what's happened. That's what has just happened. Yeah. And two very pompous priests have come along and have said, oh, yes, uh, put this money into the treasury, and I'll buy a field. And then you get this astonishing aria. And for me, um, I, I've sort of had this debate with a few people now, for me, this is Judas's redemption, because he knows he's gone wrong. He knows he's got it wrong. Unlike Peter, he admits it, he goes to people, he confesses, he makes confession. Don't forget, you, God is not mocked. If you, if you um, go to confession and don't believe it, then you don't get forgiven. It doesn't matter if the priest says you are forgiven. It is not, you're not truly contrite. It doesn't work like that, because God is not mocked. He is genuinely contrite. He goes for help, he gets kicked in the teeth, and he throws the money back at them, and he takes his own life. And in return, I think he gets Jesus back. He asks for Jesus back, and he gets him in that aria. It is positive, it is toe-tapping, because we are told... How many times do I have to give, forgive my brother? Seven times? No, 70 times seven, we're told. The implication being that there is nothing which is unforgivable. <coughs> it's not like Harry Potter. There are no unforgivable curses. You know, everything is forgivable. And that is very hard for us to hear. It's deeply uncomfortable. Because no matter how we try to rationalise sin and other people's wrongdoings, uh, there are things which we believe are unforgivable. And the church, the gospel of Christ, does not teach us that. So even for Judas, the man for whom it would be better if he'd never been born, in Jesus' own words, uh, could have forgiveness, is what I'd suggest to you. And I think that's quite uncomfortable. And I think that's why that R is there, and I think that's why nobody talks about it, because they don't understand it. It doesn't fit. It's easy, isn't it, Peter? Peter's sad, he's got it wrong, he gets a really sad aria. That's, that's fantastic. He gets that. Judas is evil and we all hate him. I mean, he gets this really happy aria. So what's going on? Well, it's, it's just an Italian concerto movement. He's <laughs> self-righteous. He's saying to you, I got it right. I don't think so. Because he's asking, because it's the text. Picander, Picander has, has come up with, there is tension in it. You're right, there is tension in it. There's a slight tightness about it. He is, I would say that performance is too slow. And I think that, again, it's slightly held. I like something with a bit more bravura and sweep about it. But the fact of saying, give me my Jesus back, that's what he now wants. He wants, he wants to have communion with, with Jesus again. So, I mean, you know, this is good news for us. We've had our Lutheran... You're miserable, you're miserable, you've got it wrong. Um, we've had quite a lot of that today. This is good news for us, that, that, that forgiveness is there. We have to ask for it, and we have to want it, we have to desire it. Yeah. So does, does Judas represent part of us? And I think the answer is that Judas and Peter do represent part of us, and maybe that's why they're side by side in this story. Um, because uh, Judas is more extreme, and Peter doesn't, Peter doesn't mean to get anything wrong. Peter just gets things wrong. <laughs> Yeah, he's impulsive, and he's involved in his exactly. He's impulsive and emotional. And Judas is calculating. He goes to other people. And he says, and it's it's financial. It's you know, what will you give me if I do this? What reward will you give me? He's nasty. We know he's supposed to look after the purse, isn't he, Judas? That's his job. But we, I think, and I think yes, because we can get things very, very wrong. You know, people die. People get murdered because people behave. People get abused because people misbehave. And if there is true repentance there, there is still, there's still life everlasting.
Both of those are part of human nature, aren't they? They are. They are, absolutely. Don't you think the way that when Jesus greets Judas in the garden and he says, my friend, I think that's such a tender moment. It is. Mein Freund. Actually, Bart doesn't like the apostature. It's mein Freund. Everyone has to go, mein Freund. Well, I'm, I'm, I still think it's an astonishing gesture. I, I'm not, I, again, I suspect, but I'm not entirely sure that, in, that the Lutheran tradition is the same as the, uh, the Roman Catholic tradition used to be, that if you commit suicide, you are outside the love of God. You may not be buried on holy ground because you've taken your own life. That's a sin. So, again, it makes Bach's aria even more remarkable. So in a sense, he's sinned twice because he's betrayed Jesus and he's taken his own life. And he's still able to get this.